0: Hey, we've been in this series uh, called Life Apps, and one of the things that we've had some fun with over the last couple of weeks is, uh, well, introducing you to some apps uh, that maybe you've never heard of before. And today I want to tell you about an app that uh, you may not have heard of before. Um, It's actually been around for a while. In fact, you could say it's timeless, and it works really well for kids at a time of the year like this in the summer. It's called play outside all right it's put down the phone and go outside and play and do something and here's how it works if if your phone is on well you just turn it off and if it's off well you just leave it off and you take your phone and and you put it in the drawer and you go outside and play and here's what's most fascinating about this app too not only does it work for kids Moms and dads, works for you too. And college students, and grandmas and grandpas. And you can put your phone away, and you can go outside and play. There's a life application for you. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. So uh, what, what more is there to say? But uh, hey, uh, my name is Paul Mumon. I'm the lead pastor here at Genesis. And uh, we have been in this series called Life Apps uh, looking at a verse, uh, a couple of verses uh, that are kind of guiding us through this series uh, out of the book of James. Uh, it's a New Testament book towards the end of the New Testament. Uh, in James chapter 1, verse 22, James, the brother of Jesus, uh, writes this to Christians, uh, to followers of Jesus, to the church. Here's what he says verse 22, he says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, uh, do what it says. Uh, And so James, again, the brother of Jesus, says uh, to us, uh, even today, you know, that it's not enough to just sit in church on Sundays and maybe get a a little emotional uh, by something that's said and then do nothing with it. Uh, James says, you got to do something about it. All right? I mean, you have to do something with, with these words. I mean, we study and we read the word of God not so that we can say that we know it, but that we're doing it and uh, that, that God's word is a path for us. It, it shows us as followers of Jesus how we should live. And so the point of Scripture, according to James, is to put what we're learning and what we're leading uh, into or living uh, into practice. And, and he continues, if you skip over a few verses in verse 25, he says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, if you're taking notes with us today, you can fill that in, that it gives freedom... And continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, James says, they will be blessed in what they do. James says, hey, there is a way, uh, God's way, and it's a way that leads to freedom. Uh, God's way, His intentions, His path for us is a way that lives, leads to freedom. It's a, it's a life that is full of joy and, and significance and purpose. It, it's the freedom uh, to be all that God created you to be. You know, two weeks ago, uh, Ben, our campus pastor, talked about forgiveness and, and how forgiveness leads to freedom. I mean, think about it. I mean, have you ever met any people? Do you know people who hold a grudge and are able or capable of experiencing freedom? I mean, it doesn't work like that, and, and last week we talked about how confession of sin can lead to healing, and that healing ultimately leads to, to freedom, and, well, today I want to talk to you about how we can experience freedom uh, when it comes to our personal finances and uh, the freedom that we can experience in regards to our money, and who wouldn't enjoy something like that, right? I mean, if we're just really honest with ourselves, I mean, who doesn't struggle uh, with that fear, uh, when it comes to money, I've struggled with that fear, still struggle with some of that fear today. I mean, when it comes to money, I mean, think about it. Do you ever feel trapped, uh, by, um, the, trapped uh, in, in the fear of, of what happens if something in my life changes, if circumstances change? I mean, how many of you have ever felt trapped by the pressure uh, to keep up with the pace or uh, to keep up with the people uh, that are living around you? I think that the desire for money has the ability more than anything else, to prevent us from experiencing all that God has for us. I mean, money has that sort of influence and power. And as Christians, most of us have at least some understanding, I believe, we have some understanding of how we're supposed to live when it comes to our money. I, I think if you've been around this long enough and if you've read from God's Word, you know that we should give, but under the growing pressure to make ends meet each month, uh, fear often stands in the way of giving in generosity, It becomes a barrier for uh, for us, and when we let it, uh, this fear has the potential to rob us from the freedom that God would ultimately have us to enjoy. Well, it may surprise you uh, that this problem with faith and money is not unique to us today, but something that Christians have experienced, you know, and were challenged by even two thousand years ago. and And so, our text today uh, was written by a man uh, known as the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul grew up as a Jew. Uh, not as a Christian, Uh, so he's mostly familiar with the Jewish culture of tithing or of giving a tenth of one's income to support the temple. And he wrote two letters uh, in, in the New Testament, well, more than two, but two letters uh, to this particular church in Corinth, to the Christians in Corinth. And his goal in both of these letters was to teach these Christians, uh, who weren't really familiar with the Jewish customs that Paul grew up with, how to live, uh, but how to live under Christ, and how to experience this true freedom that James was speaking of. Uh, turn over, if you would, in the New Testament to the book of 2 Corinthians, uh, chapter 9, verse 6, and uh, we'll have the verses for you on the screen as well. But in 2 Corinthians, chapter 9, uh, verse 6, Paul writes it like this. The Apostle Paul writes, He says, Remember this. Uh, again, writing to these Christians, people like you and me in this church in Corinth, He says, Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, how many of you uh, planted a garden this year? Any, any garden people in the room? All right, we've got some garden people. Uh, we have a small garden in our backyard, and uh, there's one word that really sums up the whole purpose of our garden, Salsa. Right, that's it. I mean, it's just, uh, for us, it's every important ingredient to make fresh salsa at the end of the year. And so we're looking forward to that salsa. Now, if you have a garden, uh, if you've planted a garden before, you know that you do the hard work of gardening in the spring, uh, meaning you choose your plants, you, you work the soil, you you keep the weeds out, maybe a little uh, food here or there, a little fertilizer here and there, and then you wait. Uh, and so there's this, this anticipation uh, for the harvest Harvest uh, that comes at the end of the summer. I mean, you do all of the work, you put all of the energy into it now so that you can reap a harvest later in year. Well, the anticipation uh, that we experience with something like a garden is a lot like the God-given longing uh, that God has put in each of us, the longing to do something and to experience something with our lives, that when we come to the end of the year or when we come to the end of our lives, we want to have something that shows uh, for our efforts, I mean, we want to know that our lives mattered for something, uh, that we made a difference. Well, that's the freedom that James is getting at. That's the freedom that he was talking about. I mean, it's it's like what Paul is getting at here with these Christians living in Corinth. And what what what's the key to that sort of freedom? Well, well, well according to Paul, the answer to financial freedom is generous giving. It's generous living. I mean, Paul wants us to see, and, and it's in your notes if you're following along with us, that generous living leads to freedom. Gen- generous living is a part of the journey towards the freedom that James is describing, the freedom that God wants every single one of us to enjoy. And so again, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will will also reap generously. It's what, we, uh, what, it's what is referred to as the law of the harvest, that you reap what you sow. Uh, basically, if you sow corn, if you plant corn, you should expect corn. Uh, I mean, think about it. I mean, you'd be crazy to think that you could sow corn and expect oranges, right? I mean, it just doesn't work like that. I mean, you get corn out of it, and, and not only that, but the more you sow, the more you reap. I mean, if you sow 10 acres of corn, you should expect about 10 acres of corn in return. I mean, don't expect 40 acres of corn uh, in return. It doesn't work that way. And, and so Paul uses uh, this popular saying, must have been a popular saying in this day, uh, that, that whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He, he uses this popular saying, and he applies it to money, and so he writes to the Christians uh, in Corinth, and he explains how in the same way a farmer who sows generously, reaps generously, he's just applying, he's just helping them to see that a person who honors the Lord with their finances and gives generously, the Bible says, will be blessed generously. I mean, put it another way, the more generously we give, the more generously we live, the more abundantly our God, he provides. Now, Paul had previously taught uh, the people of this church in Corinth about giving and tithing. In fact, uh, the people of this church had previously uh, made a commitment to help support Christians who were being persecuted uh, in Jerusalem. And for whatever reason, uh, by the time that Paul wrote this second letter, 2 Corinthians, uh, the offering hadn't been taken yet. Now, there had been some sort of delay, and we don't know exactly why the Christians hadn't yet followed through on their promise, but it's realistic to believe that times in Corinth were tough. I mean, there were challenges, that, that maybe the people in this church were, were concerned about their own financial situation. I mean, maybe it, was, it, was, it required everything they had to survive during this time, or for some, you know, maybe they preferred just simply to keep their money for themselves. Well, when you think about it, it's not much that different for, from today. I mean, it, it's the same reason why, why Christians, why we're, we're inconsistent or maybe reluctant to, to give or to live this way. I mean, the truth is that times are tough. And again, there's that fear element. And um, I mean, we're more focused on our financial situation or trying to keep up. Our expenses are so great that it doesn't seem like there's enough even to provide for those, or, or we're afraid. And And the fact is, too, that I just think that for some people, maybe many people, we just want to overlook this teaching altogether. I mean, this teaching when it comes to money and giving because, well, maybe we think we're better off doing it our own way. Uh, Philip Yancey is one of the foremost uh, Christian writers of our time, and he wrote about his attitude uh, toward money saying this. He says, and I quote, you know, many Christians have one issue that haunts them and never fall silent. Uh, He says, for some, it's sexual identity. Uh, For others, it's a permanent battle against doubt. Uh, Philip Yancey writes this. He says, the issue that haunts me is money. It hangs over me. Uh, It keeps me off balance, restless, uncomfortable, and nervous. I feel pulled in opposite directions over the money issue. And then he goes on to say, he says, mostly I wish that I did not have to think about money at all, but I must. I must somehow come to terms with the Bible's very strong statements about money. And what does the Bible say for us about money? I mean, what is God's way for us? His path, his plan for us when it comes to money? Well, Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he reminds them about the law of the harvest. He says, you reap what you sow. What what you invest in and give your life to, well, you can expect that in return. That's what you get back, and and the more you give, the more you gather, and and he says that if you will be faithful, if we will be faithful and trust God's plan uh, for our lives, that God will not only provide what you need, but he will also bless your gifts, and he will use those gifts to help people find their way back to God. Now, you have to see that this is so much more than fundraising for the Apostle Paul, I mean, this is so much more than, than raising funds. I mean, he's trying. He's praying about people uh, to, to get them thinking about uh, obedience and, and living for Jesus and living the life that God created for us, a life of freedom and ultimate trust in him. And according to the apostle Paul, he says the best way to overcome fear and the love that we have for money is to practice giving, is to live generously. Paul says generous living is the way to freedom. It's a part of the journey. It's how we get there. But i got to stop there and say, it seems a little counterintuitive, doesn't it? I mean, if you're just really honest with yourself, I mean, that, that the more you give, the more that God provides. I mean, really? I mean, because if you think about your own life circumstances, if you think about all the things that come up and all of the fears and, and, and the change and, and lifestyle and, again, just... The, 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 the desire in us, the hope in us to keep going or that there's gonna be enough at the end of each month. I, I mean, really, I mean, if I'm struggling, I mean, common sense would say that I should take care of my needs first. And the way of the world says keep it all for yourself. I mean, take care of your needs first, but not in God's kingdom. See, God's kingdom is different. And, and when you put your faith in Jesus and, and you really make a move in your life to live for him, I mean, you recognize that it all comes from him. It all belongs to God. And so you honor him with everything that you have and you trust him to provide in God's kingdom generous living leads to freedom. Four times. Uh, in six verses here, Paul uses the word generous. Now, the, the word generous in the English language means to be liberal in our giving and to be liberal liberal in our sharing. It means to be open-hearted in the Greek uh, language. But but what does it mean as far as dollars and cents are concerned? I mean, practically speaking, uh, what does generous living and giving look like for God's people? Well, Paul addresses that as we continue on as he writes here to the people uh, in Corinth. Look at verse 7, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. He says, each of you should give... What you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, again, this isn't the first time that Paul had addressed giving uh, with the people in Corinth. I mean, this was a new church, uh, this was a young church. Uh, and in the previous letter, in 1 Corinthians 16, uh, Paul instructed them just very practically he says, Hey, whenever you get together, all right, for worship on the first day of the week, uh, take an offering. Uh, You know, bring your offerings, bring your gifts at that time of worship and give those offerings to the Lord. And he reminds them here again. He writes, each of you should give. Now, I want you to notice that Paul gives a very personal instruction. I mean, he expected, it was his hope and expectation that every believer in the church would give or contribute to the work of the Lord. Now, here's what's interesting about the people uh, that were living in a part of this church in Corinth. I mean, the church was full of all kinds of people. Uh, It was full of slaves, uh, it was full of working class people, uh, people who were very wealthy, and uh, some of the people in the church had a lot, uh, some of the people in the church had very little, and, and that means that Paul didn't expect them all to give the same amount, but he did expect them to give something. And just as God was wanting to do something special uh, through this church and through their gifts, maybe more importantly, he desired to do something special in each person's heart too, to lead each person uh, into greater faith and trust in the Lord, to to loosen their grip and their confidence in money. And so he says again in verse 7, each of you should give. And then he goes on to say, what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God's God loves a cheerful giver. See here, Paul reminds us, giving is a choice. It's not a law. Uh, for Christians, uh, for you and me today, giving is a choice. And the Apostle Paul wants us to see that. I mean, remember the word generous means open-hearted. It's, it means as, as the Lord opens my heart, As he's doing his work in me, as he is growing in me, uh, I give. And and so for Paul, he, he, he wanted them to see that their giving should be an expression of their heart. It should be an expression of what God was doing on the inside. And that's why Paul reminds them that God loves a cheerful giver. And by the way, that's, that's why we applaud, that's why we celebrate every time we take an offering here at Genesis. We, we want to be generous, uh, we want to be cheerful in our giving. And so again, Paul tells them, he tells them to, to make a conscious decision for each person, to make a conscious decision about what they plan to give. And again, Paul doesn't want them to give reluctantly, he doesn't want them to give out of guilt, but to make the decision to trust God. He wants them to to make a move in their giving as a way of saying that they refuse to live under the rule of money, but instead to live their life for God. You know, maybe you're here today. Maybe you're ready to make a, a move like this in your life, to to take a step uh, in the direction of freedom in your life, especially it has to do uh, with something like money. I mean, maybe you are ready, like some of these people here, to overcome your fears regarding money and to start trusting the Lord and, and, and to live uh, an obedient life as it has to do with something like your personal finances and, and trusting God. and and you want to know how to get started in it, I want to just stop here for a second and, and let me just share with you some practical ways that you can get started to, uh, some, some ways that you can be prayerful in uh, and get started in this area of giving and generosity. And to do that, uh, I want to suggest a plan that some people have referred to as the four Ps. And uh, some of you, this will be very familiar with you uh, to you because we've talked about that here before. Uh, others of you, this will be the first time you've ever heard of something like this. But uh, let me just walk through these with you uh, briefly, uh, again, the four P's uh, for giving. Uh, The first P, uh, if you're taking notes, stands for priority giving. Priority giving, and that means that as you consider, uh, as the Lord would lead you and work in your life, and as you consider what you would give, the first thing that I want to challenge you to do is to make your generous giving a priority every single month. Now, that means that of all of the items uh, that come up on your monthly budget, uh, giving to your church And my guess for most of you, that would mean Genesis Church, uh, that giving to your church should be your very first priority. Giving back to the Lord should be priority number one. And not just a priority, but your first priority. And so that means that before you pay the mortgage, uh, before you pay your car payment, or go to the grocery store, the very first check that you write uh, is to your local church and to other ministries that you support that are helping people find their way back to God. This is what my wife and I do, Uh, and I know that maybe for many of you, this is what you do if you're growing in this area. I mean, our giving in our home and in our family, our giving to Genesis Church is deducted from our bank account right after I receive my paycheck. Uh, It's our priority, and here's why priority giving, I believe, to be uh, very important, especially if you're just getting started. If you just wait uh, until all of the other expenses are already met in your home, it's going to impact the bottom line of your giving. It's just the facts. Uh, I mean, that's just the way that it is with priorities, that whatever you uh, put first, I mean, whatever goes first takes precedence over everything else. And so your generosity tends to be highest after receiving provision. And so waiting till our provision is reduced by everything else tends to minimize our generosity at the very same time. But if you prioritize your giving back to the Lord, then everything else tends to take its proper place behind the work of God. You know, when we, when it comes to uh, generous living and giving to God, we do it best when we honor God first, when we make Him the priority in our giving, when we give to Him from the first portion of our income. Priority giving means that when you get paid, you give first to God. You make Him your first priority in your giving, and you return, to, you return it to Him, and then you use what's remaining to meet your own needs. It's called priority giving. The second P stands for percentage giving. Now, for most people, when you get started in your giving, maybe one of the questions that you ask is, where do I start in my giving? Well, remember, Paul challenged the people to think about what they wanted to give, to pray about what they should give. And what's nice about percentage giving is that it objectifies the whole process. And, And so when you decide to give a percentage, it's pretty cut and dry, where you go from there. One of the words uh, that you'll hear tossed around in church, or maybe you've heard it from the Bible before, is the word tithe. Now, the word tithe is just simply a mathematical term, it means 10%. And when God spoke on the subject of giving uh, in something like the Old Testament, he required 10%. We read of the tithe. Now, this can be confusing. Uh, This can be confusing for some people uh, as we'll look at something like this as we think about tithing and say, well, that's an Old Testament thing, and we're not under the Old Testament law anymore, but we're under New Testament grace, and that's mostly true. But but when Jesus came on the scene, one of the things that you'll find is that he affirmed the tithe, but then challenged people to be generous in their giving. I mean, it it was almost as it it was his way of saying that 10% uh, is a great baseline, but don't be afraid to let God do even more in your life. I mean, I, I think it was Jesus' way of challenging us that 10%, really, if you would, is a great starting line and shouldn't be our finish line. But here, here's what I think. Whatever the case, I, I think 10% is a great reference point for us in our giving today. That if we truly approach this as, as it all belongs to God, that when it comes to my money or your money or our finances, it's all from him and that he's the provider well, isn't giving a percentage like 10% back to him the least that we can do? And think about it for yourself and your life. And uh, do some evaluation, whether it be today or, or this week. And just pray about, you know, God, what would you have for me? And, and if you've never done something like this before, or maybe you've started and stopped. And, I mean, you really believe that the Lord's moving in your life to start trusting him in this area of finances. You know, maybe you, you'd look at something like 10% and you would say, you know what, that just is an impossibility for me and for our family right now? Well, if it's not 10, well, then what about five? Or what about setting a percentage like 3% just as you get started? But make it a priority each month. Make it a line item as as a way of trusting, as a way of growing in freedom and generosity. You start giving a percentage and giving that away every single month. And if you're not doing this, Again, or if you gave this up a long time ago, again, I just want to challenge you to just pray and ask God to give you the faith and the understanding to trust him in this area of giving and finances. That, because the, the fact is that if you're not giving to God, you're not experiencing the blessings and the freedom that he wants to give to you and provide for you. There is a way, a way of life marked out for us as followers of Jesus that is full of purpose, and significance, and faith, and it's a way that offers joy, uh, and a way that offers freedom. But here's the hard truth. You're not ever going to experience that freedom in your life until you surrender every part of your life to Jesus Christ. And unfortunately for so many, the area that we refuse to let God into over and over again has to do with our money. And Jesus knew that. I mean, it's why he talked about money more than he talked about things like heaven and hell. Jesus knew that there is a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think and handle money. And for those of you that are here today that say with your heart and with your life that I want to live for Jesus, I just want to challenge you to make a start, uh, to take a step in this area of giving and make it a priority and set a percentage in every month start giving back to the Lord. I uh, had coffee this past week uh, with a, a young guy, and uh, he was just kind of telling me his story for he and his wife and how a little over a year ago they started giving. They set a percentage, and it, it wasn't 10%. That didn't work for them, and so they set a lower percentage, and they just started giving, and they just started making that a practice uh, in their home and for their family. And he said some months went by, and he said they just, there was just kind of an uneasiness for them, and they just made the decision. To Bump that up to ten percent and to start giving that was the work that God was doing in their heart, and, and together as a couple them, they made that decision, and uh, he talked about how it was tough at the very beginning, and even the challenge with his income kind of well, it was different, every single paycheck of like well, maybe I should go back in and adjust in my you know my automated giving you know every month according to what I receive and, and he said, you know my wife and I we've just decided to stick with it, we set an amount and and we 're just watching the Lord provide for us, and He's blessing us, and he's growing our hearts and and we're just amazed by the work uh, that he's doing in us. You know it was fourteen years ago. my wife and I uh, we were just getting started in ministry, and we had really never had any teaching on this we weren't giving giving regularly, doing anything like tithing and and you know after some teaching and well, we, we started doing that 14 years ago. We started tithing. And over the last 14 years, you know, God has just been working in us and increasing our hearts and growing us beyond 10% now and, and, and every month, every paycheck. You know, the, the very first gift that we give is back to the Lord through Genesis Church. And we're trusting him and he's growing our faith. And we just watch over and over again how he provides. And don't miss the opportunity to live that way. Uh, Make your giving a priority, set a percentage, and be consistent in it. Uh, But recognize, too, that there's no ceiling or end to what God wants to do in our hearts uh, in this area of giving. And so if you're already tithing, let's look at another uh, P. I want to challenge you to be progressive in your giving, too. Uh, and that means that if you've been giving consistently, uh, if you've been tithing, uh, I wanna challenge you just kind of every year, set aside some time and, and pray about what you're giving and just ask the Lord, God, would you stretch us even more? Would you wanna increase our giving uh, this year to our church? That means that if you've been giving 10% uh, for five years, maybe it's time to increase your giving to 11% uh, or 12%. And here's why this is a good idea. Your faith and faithfulness, really, when you think about it, they go hand in hand. Uh, you can't separate them. And, and if your faith is gonna grow and thrive, I mean, your giving and generosity will grow alongside of your faith too. I mean, I, I've seen and heard stories of people doing things like this, people who make it a point to increase their giving by a percentage every single year. That's just kind of their aim in life. Or, or maybe instead of increasing their giving uh, to one church or to one place uh, each year, they start giving to additional ministries uh, that they're passionate about over and above what they're already giving to their church. And, Uh, One of the privileges that I have as your pastor is that I get to uh, work with people and hear stories from people all the time about how God uh, is providing for them in special ways. And then I get to see how they turn around and maybe take some of the extra blessing that they've received and do something uh, unusual with it or uh, make a gift to support someone in a very special way. Because here's the thing, when you start giving and when you allow generosity to take hold in your life, one of the things that you're going to discover is this, you can't outgive God. You just, you can't do it. That, that you can't outgive God. I mean, it's the law of the harvest that Paul talks about, that you reap what you sow. We give, and God provides. You give, and he blesses. And so I want to challenge you to be progressive in your giving. And finally, I want to challenge every single one of us uh, to be a prompted giver too. And that just simply means this, that you and I, that We can be so calculated and budgeted and organized, and some of that is okay, and some of that's really beneficial, especially as you get started in giving, but don't ever get so organized or planned in your giving that it doesn't leave room for God to blow up your budget once in a while, to just do some things that are beyond anything that you could ever imagine or do on your own. That means when he leads you or prompts you to give in unexpected and unconventional ways, go for it. Like, put him to the test. I mean, I know people... I know people who live by things like the Dave Ramsey envelope system and, and cash only, and, and they give regularly, but every once in a while, they'll find themselves in a situation where even though they've already given uh, their tithe for the month, they can't stand to miss an opportunity, and so the next thing you know, they're emptying out the entertainment budget. All right, like there goes all of the eating out, all of the entertainment for the month because they can't stand or miss the opportunity to give to something that they believe and feel that the Lord has prompted them to give to. And if you ever have done anything like that, and I know that many of you have, you know that there's a lot of joy in it, right? There's a lot of freedom in it. And it changes our hearts and it changes our perspective and the way that we live. Uh, Alfred uh, Nobel was a Swedish chemist who made his fortune uh, investing and producing dynamite. And uh, in 1888, he was grieving as his brother Ludwig had recently died in France. And uh, his grief turned to confusion one day when he picked up a newspaper, a French newspaper, and read an obituary, uh, but not an obituary for his brother, uh, but it was his own. Uh, The editor of this particular newspaper had confused the brothers, and instead of writing an obituary for Ludwig, the obituary was for Alfred, and the headline of the obituary read, The Merchant of Death is Dead. Uh, Alfred Nobel's obituary described the man who had gotten rich by killing people, uh, helping people kill one another, as this particular editor had, had written. That was his legacy, well, shaken a little bit uh, by the evaluation of his life, Nobel resolved to use his wealth to change his life and to change his legacy forever. And when he died eight years later, he left more than $9 million to fund awards uh, for for people whose work benefited humanity. The awards became known as the Nobel Prizes. Um, See, Alfred Nobel... Uh, Had a really rare opportunity uh, to look at the assessment of his life uh, in the end, but still have the chance and the opportunity to change it. And before his life was over, Nobel made sure that he invested his wealth in something of lasting value. Friends, Genesis Church, uh, your life's not over yet. Uh, You've still got time. And and that means that if you don't like where you are right now or how you're living, you've the chance and the opportunity to change it. And, and if you're living under the pressure and the rule of something like money, you can make a move and start living your life and trusting God because generous living leads to freedom. The freedom that God has planned for you. Generous living is an important part of the journey that God has in mind for us. Uh, and, you know, making a move like that. I know and I understand is frightening. Uh, Again, there's a lot of fear and anticipation that that is associated with that. I mean, terror, really, and and the Apostle Paul knew that. He knew that fear was one of the barriers that we would face. It was one of the barriers for the people in Corinth. Look what he wrote uh, in verse eight, continuing on, and he said, and God is able to bless you abundantly, So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Again, here, God promises, uh, Paul promises that that God will provide, that he is our provider. Now, that doesn't mean that we get what we think we need from him. Uh, This isn't health and wealth, you know, whereby that if you give X amount of dollars, you can expect X amount of dollars in return, and it's not a guarantee that you and I or that in your family you won't ever experience any financial challenges or that you won't have to say no to some things. But it is a promise that God will provide. He always provides. And that means that from time to time in your life he might provide you with an unexpected gift just at the right time. Uh, It means that his blessing could take the form of a raise or abundant financial resources. Uh, Sometimes God's provision is wisdom uh, and discipline Uh, to manage what you already have or what you don't have. And and I don't know what it is for sure for you, but what I do know is that it is a promise that he will provide and he promises freedom to those who live and trust him. And the more we trust him, the more that we get to participate in the work that he's doing in and around our lives and in our church too. And Paul finishes up, uh, skipping over to verse 10. Again, writing to these people, and here's what he says. Now he who supplies... He's talking about God, our provider. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply. And what will he do? And increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. He goes on in verse 11 to say, you will be enriched in every way. This is the freedom that James was talking about. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous, on every occasion. What's the purpose of our giving and the work that God is doing in us to increase this generosity? And Paul says, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Verse 12, this service, meaning this giving and generosity that you perform, is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of this service, by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Paul says this, he just simply says, not only does God promise to increase your faith and trust and provide for all your needs, but he reminds us and says that your generosity, it's gonna make a difference too and people are gonna give thanks to God for your giving. Genesis Church, I gotta tell you that your giving to Genesis is doing the very same thing. Your giving is resulting and will result in thanksgiving to God. It's already happening. Uh, It's already happening uh, in places like uh, Movement Church. Uh, I'll show you a picture here of Movement Church uh, in the northern uh, Kentucky area, just outside of Cincinnati. Many of you know Josh and Heidi Tandy. They served on staff here for a few years, and now they're planting Movement Church. They're meeting right now this morning in Fort Thomas, Kentucky, Uh, Your giving uh, is enabling them to plant a brand new church where people are finding their way back to God. And over the past year, the past fiscal year at Genesis, we've been able, you've been able to give $26,000 to church plants like Movement Church and other church plants uh, in the area. Let me show you another uh, couple that would like to give thanks for your giving. This is uh, Carl and Danielle Gidley, and they attended Genesis for a couple of years. They work with CREW. Uh, formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ. Genesis Church, we support uh, Carl and Danielle as they now serve college students out at Harvard University uh, in Boston. And Carl and Danielle give you thanks uh, so that they can do what the Lord has called them to do. But here's what gets me real excited. If you would just imagine for a moment the men and women on Harvard's college campus that they're ministering to, these are men and women that are gonna lead the world. And to think that one person might come into their ministry and come to know Christ and how that will change everything from this day forward, wherever the Lord would call them, to lead next. And they'll give thanks to God for your giving and for your gifts. Uh, this is uh, David and Carrie Hartman and their little boy. They're serving the Muslim people in Central Asia right now. They'd like to say thanks today. This is uh, the team with Last Bell Ministries currently serving in Ukraine, if you follow the news at all, you know all of the uh, hostilities and turmoil right now. They're working with orphans and those that are just coming out of the orphanages to, as older teens to live on their own. That's part of their ministry, Last Bell would like to say thanks. This next one here is just a picture of some of our service in Haiti. And we're getting ready to send yet another team to Haiti. Over the the past year, uh, the past fiscal year, through your generous giving, we've been able to send at least $50,000 of support to Nehemiah Vision Ministries in Haiti. And I know that there are people like this child right here that would like to say thanks. This next picture here. We've, we've been involved with so much local outreach from Kids Against Hunger to providing spring break totes for kids in the Indianapolis area to the food, excuse me, the food bags that you've helped to provide. Again, people that are saying thank you. This Thanksgiving that's being offered up to God because of your generous giving and your generous living. And there's so much more. I mean, this past fiscal year, we've been able to give uh, at least $7,500 to help support families even from our own church. And right here in this community, just kind of get through some really tough times. And, and a, your generous giving. And, well, it makes it possible what we do here on Sundays. And not only here in Noblesville, but over at our Carmel campus. And people are giving thanks to the Lord. And they're grateful and they're thankful for your giving and your support. And we could only wonder, what next? God, what would you do next through us? What would you have in mind for my life and for your life and for my family and for your family as we trust you, as we live for you, as we give generously to you. And what do you want to do through this church? And what do you have in mind next? Paul says, generous living leads to freedom. Are you taking any steps in that area? Would you allow God to work in your heart and your life to give more and more of your life to him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we just pray that you would do the work in us. Uh, that you would work in our hearts, that you would show us where to go from here, Lord, that you have a plan for us, a plan that involves a freedom in Christ that I think we all desperately long for. We might not be able to describe, but we know and we believe that it's a gift that you want to give to every single one of us. Uh, Do your work, Lord. Uh, We just pray and we just open up our lives and say, God, what do you want to do through me to trust you even more, to give to you and to your name? do that work in us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, in uh, verse 15, Paul closes out this portion of the letter to the people in Corinth saying, um, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I mean, what's that gift? It's God's son, Jesus. I mean, that God, it it helps us understand that God is the first giver, uh, that he selflessly Uh, gave himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And I mean, what a reminder today for you and me that our generous living, really when it's at its best, is a response in gratitude for this gift that Paul says for us is beyond description.